It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on Monday, July the 3rd. Happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. Of course, you can check out the show all the time on uh, MetsMarizedOnline.com. You can send me a tweet at MikeSolvedia, and you can get the show on uh, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a, a review on iTunes. It's always greatly appreciated. Uh, hope, uh, Like I said, hope everybody's doing well. Uh, pretty fun show, I think, for you today. Had a chance to record a couple of pieces yesterday. Decided to come out with this this morning instead of Sunday just because wanted to see what was going to happen with the All-Star announcements. Uh, congratulations to Michael Conforto, his first All-Star game, and hopefully many more. And uh, it looks like the Mets may very well have themselves a solidified, homegrown, high-end offensive piece for the foreseeable future, something that they really haven't had since uh, David Wright went down. So the all-star coronation is uh, is a long way from where Michael was a year ago in Vegas and being sent down and essentially at this time last year looking lost. So. Got that information, got that news uh, in a little bit. I had a chance to catch up with Zach Brazilier of the New York Post. He was out at City Field. Wanted to get his take. Is there a new hope around the New York Mets? This is before the Mets went out and lost to the Phillies yesterday, but still some good chunks in there for us to digest. And then to wrap up the program, uh, we're going to address some of the comments made by Ron Darling earlier this week. Ron had something uh, during the broadcast had a lot to say after Robert Gazelman went down with a hamstring injury about the modern-day weightlifting and training philosophies that you see out there in most major league clubhouses, and specifically with the Mets under Mike Barwis and his uh, consultation. Uh, BarwisMethods.com, if you want to check him out, that's uh, who's basically running the Mets' strength and conditioning, injury prevention, injury recovery program. So our buddy from, uh, he's written over at MetsMarizedOnline.com, Chris, uh, he was on the show last year, former college athlete, uh, really nailed uh, last year what to expect out of David Wright and the spinal stenosis. And uh, he's been pretty passionate. He's been on Twitter and he's been talking about, hey, this is what the problem is with the current Mets strength and conditioning philosophy. And he also is going to educate us a little bit about why it's not Ray Ramirez's fault as the trainer and maybe some of the type of training these Mets are doing that could be creating an issue or an imbalance that essentially will lead to you know some core injuries that uh, you have seen. So Chris will be on, and I had a chance to catch up with him yesterday, and you'll hear that in just a little bit. I don't really have much to say. I know that sometimes I could go on quite a bit during these intros, and I'm going to keep it brief because it's such an odd or difficult situation right now to assess. Uh, 
Mets are now halfway through the schedule. They're an under 500 team. And as you guys know, until a team really hits 500, and I've said this to you a, a million times, I can't really take them seriously as a playoff contender. Now, yes, they are seven games out of a wild card spot. And they have, other than the Cubs, they don't really have teams in front of them that I feel, even in this current state, that the Mets or can't be better than. They're nine games out of the division, and, and the Nationals are probably more uh, fallible now than they've ever been. Uh, they're more vulnerable than they've ever been. They, they lost Trey Turner for a broken wrist. I don't know if that's for the year, but that's going to be a significant amount of time. They already lost their leadoff man, Adam Eaton, for the year with an ACL injury back in uh, late April, early May. The bullpen over there is a mess. But listen, the Nationals are a well-run team. They have a good manager. They still have their core offensive players in Murphy and and Harper. And Zimmerman's had an outstanding year. And they're a grinder team, so I don't expect them to go anywhere. But they're vulnerable. Uh, and I've always felt they're vulnerable if the Mets actually went out there and prepared for the season and, and kind of came out with the mindset that they're out there from day one to win the division. I don't think the Nationals are going anywhere. But in order to beat them, you had to be at your best throughout the whole season. Now, they're not at their best. Does that mean the Mets have a shot at the division? I don't know. Nine games is not impossible. It's not impossible to overcome. And you do have the uh, you know, Familia coming back, the idea that Familia is going to come back. And, and I don't know what role he'll play. I don't think you just throw him into the closer role. But he should be back uh, within the next month. I don't know what to say about Syndergaard, but you've got to wonder uh, you know, if he'll be back sooner rather than later. But you would think they'd maybe get him back sometime for September. I think they would probably play that conservatively, and, and even if they were in the race and there was any question about how he can uh, come back this year from the lat, they probably would say, no, I'm, I'm not going to bring Syndicard back. So that might be something that will be discussed later on. The offense has never been the problem. The offense has been good all year. It's a bit of a bully offense. You saw them go brown out yesterday, but for the most part, since maybe after the first couple of weeks when the weather was awful here on the East Coast, the offense has been out there scoring, you know, four or five runs a game. Even if they're down two or three runs, you don't feel they're completely out of it. And uh, that that probably will be the case the rest of the year, provided that they stay healthy. And you got Cespedes back to this offense that, you know, he hasn't gotten going, but for the most part has been successful without Cespedes because Cespedes went down. The final piece is the one that, is the trickiest part. And the reason why I'm, I'm when you talk about a new hope or, or the Mets making a move here, they've won seven out of 10. They've made up ground is the pitching. Uh, now you have a situation where your starters are, are not a given every night. You have the Grom who has finally rounded into form. And I keep saying that's the ace of the staff. That's the guy that I would invest in. You have Mats and Lugo who I think are very good pitchers, but as twos and threes, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with them coming back from injuries, and they haven't shown. I mean, Lugo hasn't shown over a course of a full season that he can do what he can do, and he, and he does have a partially tore ligament in his elbow, so that's always something that's going to be there, similar to Tanaka across town. And Mats, I think you always know, has top-of-the-rotation stuff, but he has yet to stay healthy. So I, I don't have a problem with those guys, but obviously right now, they're not givens, but you you got to go with what you have. And then you have your Montero and Wheeler back part of the rotation, which right now Wheeler, I thought, was a guy, okay, give you five, six innings, 
one two run ball, I'll take it. Going to be a night where the bullpen's going to be used, but I'll take it. He has regressed. Now, whether that's tendonitis, he's hit a wall from Tommy John surgery, maybe he's not all that good. Uh, there's a little bit of everything on there. I've never been a big Wheeler guy. I don't criticize the move when they traded Beltron for Wheeler. But from the day that they acquired him, looking at his mechanics, knowing that he'd be an injury risk, when he came up, the, the long innings, the lack of command at times, the amount of walks that he puts out there on a night-in-night-out basis, I was always lukewarm about, about Wheeler. And then Montero. Look, Montero yesterday did what you would expect a fifth starter to do. Six innings, three, four runs. I mean, that's what you probably would have gotten from Tom Malone. If he was in there, uh, that's very well if you sign Bartolo Colon, what you may get. And everybody's all about signing Bartolo Colon, and I'm fine with that. Look, once he clears waivers, you bring him back, you never know. I mean, maybe Bartolo, because of the kind of player he is at this time of, the, of his career, needs to be in an environment where he feels comfortable, where he gets that energy. Is he done? I mean, this thing happens overnight. You saw it with Tom Glavin. Once you're north of 40... There's going to be one day where you just lose it, and and Bartolo's not exactly the most well-conditioned athlete. So could he come back here and help? I think they could probably use him as a bridge in the sixth or seventh inning for the bullpen. Can he go multiple times, back-to-back days? I know that the playoffs, that was something that they were able to do, but they were day off, days off in the playoffs. Uh, if you look at his playoff game log, they were able to space him out a little bit. He didn't pitch all that much in the Chicago series. Uh, he was really big in the Dodgers series. So you don't know if consistently he can do that. And it would be hard for me to say. Can he be a, a value to that rotation? Certainly on the upside, he's going to be better than Wheeler or Montero because of what you saw last year. But also, let's remember, Colon was a below-league average pitcher most of his career here. He was good last year, and he was good all three years he was here. But he was very feast or famine where he'd be very good. But against a good American League offense or a good offense, especially on the road in general, he got lit up, and that's where his numbers, I guess, were skewed a little bit to being not quite as good as what you visually probably saw. So you have a rotation, even if you import a cologne, that's going to be very shaky, that's going to need the offense to score. You saw that today. And then there's the bullpen, a bullpen that even when it's stacked, and it's never really been in Collins' tenure, he mismanages it. And now he's got to put a lot of critical thinking into that. Uh, they struggle, and they're certainly going to struggle on days where the starter can't get out of the fourth or fifth inning. It really burns the bullpen for the rest of uh, of the of the game and then into the next day or maybe two days. Uh, they've got a guy in there, Neil Ramirez, which I can't tell you why he's still on a big league roster when you have arms in Vegas that I probably uh, give more of an opportunity to. Eric Goodell is a name that finally got a shot, and, and not that Goodell is great, but you heard Russ Langer on the program a couple of weeks ago that he thought he, he was somebody to keep an eye on. He's been okay since he came back. So you got a lot of guys that need to be put in the right spot to be successful. And you don't have a manager that that's his forte. It's just not. His forte is keeping everybody calm, giving them uh, calm and comfort and shelter from all the big bad media and the big bad world. And they, he hopes that by doing that, that he's partnered with them, that they'll go out there and play hard from every day. And in the end, the results will show. He's been right the last two years. I don't think he's going to be right this year. And I don't know if there's a trade to be had that could help that. Because right now you have Addison Reed. Maybe you have Familia in 30 days. You have Paul Sewald, who I think is a lot better than his stats have indicated, and I like a lot. You've got Jerry Blevins. You've got John.
Hutch Edgen, who could be an earlier in the game situation lefty. And that's it. Salas stinks. You don't know what you're going to get out of Goodell. Jason Bradford is an unknown, but at least they're giving him a shot. Uh, he's been, uh, you know, not impressive since he came up. Uh, you know, you just heard about Neil Ramirez. You have a bad bullpen, and you have a manager that doesn't really know how to manage a bullpen. That's a lethal combination. So you're going to need seven innings out of your starters, and realistically, you probably could only get it out of three of them, and that doesn't mean you're going to get it every night. I mean, that, that, that's just certainly not going to get it every night. Maybe when Gazelman comes back, he could be a solution to the bullpen. You mentioned Cologne. So the reason why this is a tricky spot is because you really don't have the foundation to feel good about a team being able to compete and do that because they're going to have to win six and seven out of ten over the next couple of weeks to really motor this back to where it needs to be. And you've got Colorado coming back to the pack. You've got to think Chicago is going to eventually level out and go to where they need to be, which is 10 games over and above. I don't think they're going to be a 500 team all year. Milwaukee hasn't gone away yet. So you've got to play at a pretty high level. And I think if you want to win 90 games, uh, you're going to have to win uh, uh, 52 games here in the second half. And that's over 600 baseball. And I know you guys say, well, they did it last year for six weeks. Well, the competition was really light. Um, and they, even though they were 60 and 62, they didn't have the hole that they have right now when it comes down to it. I just don't know if this is a team, and I keep going back to investing, that this front office will invest in, which means do they go out? Do they try to get an arm as you get closer to the deadline? Do they stand pat? See, that's the interesting part. If I'm running the team, and I think that it probably is why they say they're open for business, but they're not actively shopping, they're going to listen to what the offers are. Because you've got to listen, and if something really makes sense, whether they're in the race or not, they trade a Duda, they trade a Cabrera, you know, they trade a Reed, and they say, okay, we've got to make this deal because if we pass this up, it would be foolish, and there's not enough of a guarantee that this group is going to be anything more than, in best-case scenario, meaningful games in September, maybe a one game in the playoffs, which to me it counts as the playoffs, but it doesn't really in my world. The play-in game is a play into the playoffs. To be a wild-card team, it's not the playoffs. So you could make, as a general manager, you could make a lot of mistakes in this kind of two, three-week stance in the new world of two wild cards. It was always a chance you could make that kind of mistake with one wild card. Now with two, you can make that mistake, and the Mets can make it. So as hopeful as you may be after the horrible series against the Dodgers and the sweep of the Giants and the two out of three of the Marlins and the two out of three of the Phillies, there's still a lot of work to be done here. And they're not even at 500, and they probably won't get to 500 even if they play well this week going into the All-Star break, which I had said that was what the goal for – if I was – what my goal would be. Even if they win four out of six, they're going to go into the break three under. And that's not going to be easy. You've got to go into St. Louis, who's playing better. Washington, which is always going to be a tough place despite how compromised they are. And you got to win four or six, and you got to do it. And I don't want to hear, well, they lose five out of six. Well, you know, we'll take a blow, and we'll go into the All-Star break, and we'll be back. Like, like, there's no more blows. There's no more relaxing. There's no more of that. And I'm not, you know, I don't even want to entertain playoff talk, because I told you a couple of podcasts ago that I'm done with that. I don't do that kind of stuff here. I don't just try to have these unrealistic paths to success just to have them just to have hope for a, a Mets fan on the other end listening. But there is a path. 
it's a very difficult path, and it's an unlikely path. And I think if you go to Fangraphs, what is it, a 15% op, uh, you know, maybe chance to make the playoffs. But it's not zero. But 15 is not 85. And 15 is not something that's guaranteed. So there's still uh, um, a lot here that could happen. But I'm very concerned that this, may, this run may be a false hope for this team. And then they may, you know, God forbid, keep the manager, not make changes in the, front, uh, the coaching staff at the end of the year. Maybe make a trade to bring somebody in, gives up a piece or a prospect that may not make sense just to go out and make a run here. That's usually not – with Sandy Alderson being irresponsible like that is usually not his M.O. If anything, he's too conservative. But this kind of situation is always a, a time where you have to be very careful about how you invest in your team, and you have to be very realistic about the team that you have. And right now, a new hope or a false hope or whatever you want to call it very well may be what we're faced with. Because I'm not sure, and yesterday on Sunday was a perfect example. Anytime this team sucks in, they kind of look bad. They kind of look like a second-division club, and they looked like a second-division club yesterday. And that's what they've been all year, a second-division club. Forget the games back. Forget the wild card. Forget that the National League has played down in some cases. If you go to outside of the top four teams, everybody else has played down from the level you might expect. So we'll see. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Zach Brazilla of the New York Post. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with him before the Mets took on the Phillies at City Field, so you'll hear from him. Let's hear. Is this is this reason for hope? He's been around the team the last few days, uh, and, and he spent a lot of time this spring around the team. If, you know, he normally does college basketball, but he's been covering baseball, so we'll get a chance to see what Zach has to say. And then later on, I caught up with Chris. Our, uh, our buddy from MetsmorizedOnline.com, a uh, former college athlete, has a lot to say about the Barwis method and the Mets strength and, and conditioning program and maybe why Ron Darling went off on the broadcast earlier this week or last week and uh, really uh, had taken some issues with how baseball players are being trained right now by uh, trainers and, and probably not being trained to be successful in the sport uh, that they're in, maybe more for a beach body or for football, but not the sport that they're in. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva, each and every week. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a review on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. We'll be back with Zach Brazilla of the New York Post right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today.
We're back and joining us live from City Field before the Mets uh, take on the Philadelphia Phillies in the series finale, short homestand before they go out on a uh, road trip. Leading up to the All-Star break is Zach Brazilia of the New York Post. You can follow him on uh, Twitter at the New York NY Post underscore Brazil, uh, B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. Zach, normally we talk college uh, basketball with you, but uh, you've been covering the Mets the last few weeks, so... Let me ask you this. Uh, it's been an odd start to the year, a week left before the All-Star break. Is there a new hope? Uh, I personally wrote them off about 10 days ago. They've gone 7-3. and three. Maybe I'm the mush um, or in a good way. And, uh, and, and I know the competition has been lousy, but the Colorado Rockies have come back down to earth. The, uh, the Nationals have some injuries. Is there a new hope and a new feeling around the team over at City Field? I mean, I, I think there's some positive vibes. Uh, but I, you know, for me personally, I think we got to see a lot more. Uh, like we said, I mean, they, these last, you know, including today, this last nine games have come against three, three of the worst teams in, in the sport: uh, the Giants, Marlins, Marlins, and now the Phillies. So I mean, I, I think we need to see more. We've seen good signs, you know. Granderson's been red hot. The pitching, especially Matt's, uh, Lugo and Degrom, has been good. Um, I don't think there's any question about it. But I also think we need to take this with a grain of salt. The opposition has not been good. You know, let's say they win today and then they go win four or six next week in D.C. and St. Louis, then then maybe maybe there is something there. You know, they would be. I think if they went did that, they would be one under um, at the All Star break. So, I, but to me, let's see what they do next week. You know, this team could easily lose five or six next weekend, and then it's back to you know. That's what they are. So, I, like I said, you, I, I think that's we a need great to see point. a lot more. Uh, that's a great point. It actually segues into my next question is that this is a dangerous kind of situation because the Mets have said they're open for business, but they haven't really committed to selling. And, and with today's game, with the way that there's two wild cards, you could really mess around for half a season, give or take, and be considered a contender. I mean, there are teams that are under 500 at the uh, trading deadline that are considered quote-unquote contenders because maybe they're five or six games out of a wild card. And in reality, they're not because you never see a path to them get, ever getting to 500. With this Mets team, it's a little different. In your opinion, if the worst-case scenario happens where, let's say they win today, but then they go out on the, on the road and get clobbered by St. Louis and Washington, I don't know if it's in their best interest to pretend even if they're still eight, nine games out of both the wild card and the division, pretend that there's something here because that's telling you against superior competition, this team can't cut the mustard. Yeah, I mean, but I also think, I think people are, 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 are a little are rushing into this too. You know, it, it's not July 25th right now. You don't, you don't have to know 100% by this week, by next week, are we sellers or buyers? You know, Sandy Olsen has repeatedly said there, there really is no market at the moment. You know, trades don't – you don't really see a lot of trades happen. But let's be honest, too. It's not like they're going to be turning around trading the Grom or Mats anyway. You know, so, so they would be trading, you know, a Duda, a Reed. I mean, with all the money coming off the books, there's no reason this team cannot have a quick rebuild if they went out and got a few legit players in the offseason. Now, that's obviously – with the way the ownership uh, runs this team, you never know what's going to happen. Are they going to, you know, are they going to put that money they that come off the post, take about 65, 70 million back into the team? So 
so what, what, what I'm saying is that you're not looking at a massive rebuild. You're looking at trading some expiring contracts of veterans who probably won't be back anyway. So I don't think – so I don't really understand the need for people to say today or next week we're, we're selling. There's still plenty of time to determine whether they should be selling assets or not. And don't forget, some of these guys who leave, you're going to probably get a pick in return anyway. So, I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't see the, the, the need for, to right now have to know, are we going to buy, are we going to sell? I think there's plenty of time to decide. What a difference a week makes for Estrubal Cabrera. A week ago, wants to be traded, doesn't want to play second base, and now he's hitting game-winning home runs. And he actually looked pretty good at second base. And with Neil Walker, a free agent at the end of the year, and with a player option and a reasonable one on Cabrera, and he's looked awful at shortstop at times this year. And we know his issues with range and with Rosario and the waiting in the wings. Maybe this is a decent second base option for next year. You know, I've, I felt all along that the, the, the big issue with Cabrera is how. I mean, you saw it last year when he went on the DL. And he came back, and he was a different player. You know, this guy's healthy. He he could hit. He's a good hitter. It's it's not a question about it. And I think maybe he's been able to relax a little bit, uh, being at second base, and not have to worry about, you know, all the questions about his defense. And you know, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, I I go into that year thinking the Mets have four holes: catcher, center field, third base, and second base. You know, whether you're playing bringing back Duda to play first, and you're going to see the job to Don Swift. You have four open spots. You're not going to go out and get four new players. So what I think it's realistic to expect them to go out and get two legit players for two of those spots. And then, you know, there's nothing wrong with just playing Cabrera second. I mean, the guy is the – he's not – you know, he, because of the way he moves, sometimes he looks like he's 35. He's 31 years old. So, you know, I, I agree. I, I don't think that would be a bad position at all. He would help mentor Rosario. Branson Rosario is the shortstop opening day next year, which you would, you would think, but obviously we don't know that. Absolutely. Uh, with me, Zach Brazilia of the New York Post. He's out in City Field covering the Mets, uh, catching up with him on this week's podcast before the final game of the series. And really, when you look at the team and, you know, the players that, you know, you would trade, in a market where there's so much offense out there, it's actually pitching that teams would want, and that's what the Mets need, ironically enough. And offensively, I'm going up and down the lineup here. Even though Travis Darno hasn't had a good year, uh, you know he's really the weak link on the offense. I mean, this is a potent lineup, uh, much different than last year. Now you have a rotation. You have Degrom, who seems to be coming into form. Mats and Lugo. That's a pretty solid number one, two, and three. I'm not counting on Syndergaard at all. Now here's where it gets a tri- tricky. What version of Montero will we see? We'll know later today. And what's going on with Zach Wheeler, who earlier in the year was a good for five, maybe five and change, six solid innings. Now, whether it's tendonitis, he's hit a wall, you know, maybe the league has caught up to him. I, I've never been a huge Zach Wheeler guy uh, from day one. He seems to not be able to get through those five, six innings that he was earlier in the year. A little bit better yesterday, but not where you want him to be. The rotation is the, really the big question. What are you hearing around there? What are they saying about Wheeler, and how important is today's start from Montero? Uh, because, you know, quite frankly, uh, you know, he's got to show something. Even though he had a nice game last week, he's got to start to show something, that he could be a serviceable part of the rotation, because he hasn't even been that so far in his career. 
I mean, you got to look at two to be fair to Montero. He had two two very good uh, outings in the bullpen as well, where he was throwing a lot of strikes um, and looked like a different pitcher. So to me, it's three outings in a row where he's looked more like the guy we've heard about for years. Um, but yeah, of course, look, he needs to do more. He needs to pitch more. He needs to throw more strikes. But here's Tim Montero, and the reason they've given him, you know, it feels like about 38 chances. He has still very good stuff. The guy has thrown more of his changeup, which has been effective. He can get get it up to 95, 96 with movement. His slider is not bad. He, he's not good stuff. I mean, there was a reason that all those years ago when the Subway Series, when they called up him to the ground, he was the guy everyone was talking about. The ground was kind of the, uh, you know, we're calling this guy up to just for a spot starter to help in the bullpen. And obviously the ground has become one of the best pitchers in baseball. And the you know, been such a, so enigmatic and so just uh, frustrating for the Mets. But the stuff is there, which is why they're still keeping him. I'm very interested to see how he pitches today. Now, the Phillies don't have a good lineup. We all know that. But to me, it's more about what Montero's doing, uh, what he does. Because if he's going to pound the zone with his stuff, he's going to be okay. The problem is the guy for his career in the majors has been scared to throw the ball on the plate, um, has been intimidated by major league hitters, and we've seen, we've seen different Montero the last three outings. You know, I got to say, let me get, I want to see another start from Wheeler. You know, his first start from off the DL. Um, you know, he obviously didn't pitch very deep, which has always been his issue. You know, throwing a million different, million pitches, you know, 110 pitches over five and a third. Um, but, you know, that's the thing with the Mets. You know, everyone came in the year thinking they're going to score enough runs. I mean, their offense has been by far the best part of this team, which is remarkable considering what everyone worried about, you know, and, and then you look at, you know, they didn't have Cespedes for eight weeks. They've had a million injuries. You know, Duda was on a DL. Uh, Flores, now some Florida. The offense has been, you know, as far as surpassed expectations. I don't think it's a great offense, but I think it's more than good enough if you're getting decent pitches. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, they're set up very nicely with National Series. They have the three best pitchers going. All they see is Strasburg. They get they get Joe Ross and Tanner Rourke, neither of whom are very good. Both have ERAs over five. You know, the Mets, meanwhile, get legal Mats and DeGrom. If the series on paper, the Mets should be able to take two or three. And the Nats are not playing well now. They just lost their legal hitter, Trey Turner, for probably two months. The bullpen's a mess. Um, the Mets is there for them to win two games. We'll see. But... There's optimism, you know. I, I don't want to throw cold water on it because, you know, they win today. It's eight of nine, and you know that's that's good baseball. Let's let's see this last week. To me, this last week is very intriguing. Before the All Star break, if they could go in with four of six after winning today, they'd be one game under 500. And coming out of it, I think they play the Rockies at home, and so that would be an opportunity for them to gain ground. So, you know, we'll see. But there, there definitely is more optimism now than there's been in a while. I, I agree with that. You, you very well said. This is a critical – today's a critical game. It's a critical week, and uh, recharge, get back at it after the All-Star break. They can't mess around anymore. The bullpen, I know Addison Reed is probably not available today. Um, you know, we'll see who closes. You got uh, Seawald, who I really like. He's been up and down, uh, but, but, but his numbers aren't – really the, the peripherals are a lot better than the numbers suggest. Jerry Blevins, we know he, what he's done. Josh Edgen has been solid. Uh, they need another arm. You know, I know Familia is not going to be back for another month, and, and, and it seems like that's going to be sooner rather than later. But the name Bartolo Colon keeps getting brought up, and Sandy Alderson has been coy about it. 
Bartolo did a nice job in the bullpen in the playoffs. He's not your typical reliever, but he is who is available, assuming he clears waivers, and I believe he will, with that $12-plus million. Uh, is that what you see as maybe a short-term viable option to help this bullpen that desperately, desperately needs uh, a consistent arm, especially for the sixth and seventh inning? They just don't have that now. It has not been Fernando Salas. Um, and, and, and who knows about Eric Goodell and Jason Bradford. They need somebody, and you wonder if Bartolo Colon is that guy. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're interested. Um, Colon's numbers would really worry me. Uh, basically, was a punch and bag at the Braves. Um, I'd like to see a little more of Bradford. Um, you know, I, the familiar, it does sound like he's a little ahead of pace. He, he's a, supposed to go down to Florida, I think tomorrow to start throwing program, so he could be a month away. So you could be getting him back right after the uh, trade deadline, and that would obviously be a, be a be a big addition. You know, now Gesselman's out a while. I really did not quite get why they went to a six man. I would have put Gesselman in the bullpen. He looked very good in the bullpen. Um, you know, at, for, he had a few outings there, and then they through the rotation he had a few pretty good starts, and then he went back in the tank. I think Gesselman has bullpen rain all over him. I think he wears down in games. Um, but now he's obviously going to be out for a while with the hamstring. Uh, they, they clearly need to do something. I, I don't think Cologne would be a terrible idea. Um, you know, they, I, I thought what, before the injuries came, I thought Matero in the bullpen could have been decent. Um, if he throws strikes the way he's been throwing lately. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very thin in the bullpen. We all know that. Now, Reed's been terrific. Clemens has been terrific. Um, you know, um, the numbers for Seawold aren't great, but that's because he's had one or two just brutal outings. But besides that, he's been very consistent. He's really, really saved them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to give Bradford more of a look. I think we've all seen enough of Salas. Salas should be a mop-up guy or be used in the middle of fifth inning. Um, you know, he's proven time to get he's not reliable. Uh, you know, Hansel Robles and AAA is just not good at all. He's, been blowing up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they don't have a lot of options. That's the thing. Their pitch started pitching. Part of the reason they've been winning these games lately is their started pitching to give them seven, eight innings. And we all know that's, that's usually a key to a good bullpen is good starting pitching. Last thing before I let you go, it looks like they're uh, going to get Terry Collins off the mat. Every time I think that uh, he's on the ropes and uh, everyone realizes that, you know, every night, uh, that's the weak link. Uh, the, the other managers usually better in the dugout. The Mets seem to charge back. Uh, has not been a good year for Terry uh, on a lot of fronts, uh, but he hangs in there. And uh, if they do get back into this thing, you got to wonder, uh, you know, manager for life almost here. It seems like uh, every time you count Terry out, the team uh, responds and uh, they pull you back in there. Yeah, his, his time here is it's very uh... – very perplexing when you look at it because he, you know, especially the last few years, his teams have shown a ton of resiliency, which you got to give him credit for. But to me, it's, you know, if you're going to rip his in-game maneuvers and all that stuff, which I do, and to me it's fair to do, you got to give him credit for the resilience um, they've shown here in the last three years. Um, you know, uh, his use of the bullpen is head-scratching. I don't think there's any question about it. His lineups are sometimes confusing. Um, but you know what? The other thing is, you know, everyone who's always falling for his head and falling for his job, that's not, that's not standing them up. He doesn't make rash decisions. Terry's contract runs out at the end of the year. Unless, you know, I always thought, unless they lost, like, 
15 of 20 or went on this huge, huge losing streak. He wasn't getting fired. They're going to let him at least coach out the year. No secret, Fred Wolfson loves Terry. You know, he, he takes bullets for the organization all the time. But that, to me, is probably the thing they love the most about him. He, he's the one in the press conference who, who gets, takes the hits for why is Rosario not up? And, you know, why are the injuries handled this way? Um, and also, his, his teams have shown t- a lot of toughness, you know. Um, we saw it last year where they found a way to get a wild card. Um, we're seeing it again this year with all these injuries, with underperformance, and his team is not going away. You can say what you want about the schedule. There's the other thing. I think people who said the Specs team isn't very good, I don't agree. I don't, I don't think they're a great team either. I don't think they're a terrible team. I don't think they're a good team. But look at the National League. Look at how many bad teams there are. The league is littered with You have about five good teams, um, you know, and, and then you have a lot of mediocrity. So the Mets, I don't think they're a playoff team. They'll probably get the low to mid-80s wins just because of they're still better than a ton of these teams out there. Yeah, absolutely, keeping them in the the race. Hey, so you're covering the Mets. Uh, obviously, you're a big uh, college basketball guy. That's quite a few months away. Uh, what are the listeners, uh, what what do you got coming up? What can they follow? What are you going to be doing this summer over at the New York Post? Give us all the uh, the details. Um, I mean, it's, you know, right now it's basically all baseball. Um, I'm doing, I'll be at the Yankees tomorrow. Um, you know, basically Mets and Yankees. And at the end of July, training camp starts, and I'll be out there with the Hopefully more of the Giants than the Jets. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, basically baseball and then um, training camp and then uh, some college football. But uh, I'm excited for college hoops. You know, Seton Hall is going to be a top 20 team. I think St. John's could be uh, in the mix for the NCAA tournament. Um, Manhattan's going to be very good. I think Hofstra's going to be good. Um, Iona's always good. Rutgers should be a little better. So, uh, to me, it's going to be a fantastic local season for college basketball. It's all the making for me one of the better years we've had in a while. All right. Enjoy the game. Appreciate a few minutes, man. Let's catch up. Happy 4th of July, all right? All right, man. Have a good one, man. Take care. That's Zach Brazilda of the New York Post at NYPost underscore Brazil, B-R-A-I. Actually, let me get this for you right there. Zach Brazilla. B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E at NYPost underscore Brazil. So, good stuff. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to get into the Mets handling of injuries. Ron Darling's comments. You'll hear that in just a minute. And our buddy Chris from MetsmorizedOnline.com, who has been pretty critical on both Twitter and on MetsmorizedOnline.com when he has written over there about the Mets and the Barwis method and Mike Barwis, who uh, runs the strength and conditioning program over there. And a lot of that has come out this week because of Darling's comments, another injury as Robert Gazelman uh, was injured uh, running down to first base over in uh, Miami. So Chris and I will talk about that. I think there's some interesting stuff and definitely get you thinking about whether one of the issues with this team has been how they handle, how they prepare, how they prevent injuries. It's been a topic for a while not sure that right now Barwis and his team are the answer. Anyway, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If I'm not on one, let me know, and I'll get on there. We'll be back 
Let's talk a little bit about the Mets uh, injury protocol right after this. them in a room with some of the old trainers and people that took care of baseball players and how to keep them healthy and get them in a room and try to tap into some of their knowledge on how you train baseball players not weightlifters not six-pack wearers baseball players they're doing a disservice to their million-dollar athletes that they're paying it's a joke to watch this happen each and every night We're back, and you just heard the words of uh, Ron Darling and another injury this week for the Mets, and it's been a topic of conversation. Actually, a year ago, I have our buddy from MetsmarizedOnline.com, uh, Chris. Chris, the teacher, he's written a couple of pieces over there. He's been on Twitter pretty open uh, of his criticisms of the Mets' strength and conditioning uh, and some of the practices they use to get players on the field, keep them on the field, and uh, what better guy to bring on? Because just about a year ago, around this time, we were talking about David Wright and his injuries, and uh, Chris pretty much nailed that one. So why not bring him on and let's talk about the latest and greatest when it comes to uh, strength and conditioning and health with the New York Mets? Then Chris from MetsmerizedOnline.com. Chris, how you doing? Uh, Mike Silva, what's the good word, my friend? Hey, Mike, how we doing? Just uh, enjoying this Fourth of July weekend here, seeing if the Mets can finish off the sweep today. The Phils. Are you going to the game and hanging out with Mike Barwis at all, or is it just you, uh, you watch, <laughs> taking some be- watching the game from home with some beers? <laughs> I'll be watching the game at home as Barwis does the same from uh, Florida and collecting his checks for uh, continually hamstringing both literally and metaphorically the uh, baseball club. Well, that's the first shot of the bow. Now, here's the important part, and I know that there's many who probably are familiar with you that are listening, but there may be someone hearing you for the first time. So you're a former college athlete, so you're not just somebody that decided one day, you know, I don't like Mike Barwis, I don't like what's going on with the Mets, let me let me go to Wikipedia, look some things up. Um, you know, I'm not, an, I'm not a former college athlete, I don't know uh, kinesiology, all I could do is listen to those that do know. I, what I do know is this, uh, just as a novice, if you're lifting weights to have uh, lifting weights to have a beach body, like Sean T and all the other insanity, which I've done those workouts, somehow I'm not sure that's exactly what you should be doing if you want to pitch seven innings, stay on the field for 162 games in 180 days, um, and, and you have been pretty open about that. Well, look, there's a program for everybody, and any program really could work for anybody, but the issue is here that you're dealing with athletes that for the most part are players that are positionary uh, that are stationary and then explode to movement uh, at random times, whether it be while they're pitching, whether it be while they're standing in the field, bursting to first base, or whether they're in the batter's box swinging and then running to first base, you have players that are at rest, then exploding into motion. So explosive workouts are fine to practice those type of things. But the issue 
is that if you're creating a muscle imbalance, if you're working out your quads too much and ignoring strengthening and stretching of the hamstrings, if you're working out your core, your abs too much, and you're ignoring the quads or the hamstrings and creating muscle imbalance, which Barwis is very famous for doing, that's when you run into problems with explosive type of athletes because you have bodies that are not imbalanced that are exploding uh, and something has to give. It's part of a, your whole body is based on a rubber band and it's going to start pulling and pulling and pushing in, in one direction. Something else. there. Well, you know, it kind of goes back and it goes back to the nineties where you had players that were taking steroids, didn't know what they were doing. We're building a ton of body mass, and you saw as the mid-90s to the late-90s to the turn of the century, there were players that broke down. I remember Ken Caminetti, who was a known steroid user. His body just started to break down because it couldn't handle, as to your point, the imbalance. And, again, I'm not saying these guys are taking steroids, but they're doing weightlifting. You see uh, an injury with Noah Syndergaard. Uh, the, the most famous one would be all winter you saw Cespedes working out, uh, doing extreme weightlifting, especially with his legs. I think even ESPN did something on him uh, about that. And uh, sure enough, he's been, he's been pretty gimpy all year. Let's put it that way. He didn't look like a guy who was a finely tuned athlete. No, definitely not. Especially he's doing what's called bear squats, uh, which for his weight and his goals, that video right there, anybody inside the industry of strength and conditioning will tell you it's uh, completely contradictory. There's no reason for him to be doing that explosive movement with that amount of weight. You obviously want to have lower weight with that sort of explosive, fast movement. Uh, and uh, the use of – it's funny because they highlighted – I believe it was an ESPN Sunday night game, and they highlighted Cespedes using those pressure pants um, for recovery – uh, which is not that at all. It's it's actually just more stress on the legs. You don't do that for recovery. You do that as part of your workout. Um, and look, the, the guy Barwis, it's it, to give a little bit of a backstory. This is a guy who was uh, pushed on the Will Ponds uh, or suggested by the Will Ponds, his previous employer, uh, Michigan uh, University of Michigan uh, Strength Conditioning for uh, the football program. Uh, there were some NCAA investigations there. Uh, there were allegations about Barwis destroying documents during the investigation about uh, time served for athletes. Um, and eventually, when Barwis, when uh, the head coach of Michigan left and Barwis left, uh, the Mets start to bring him into the fold a little bit uh, closer. He's been with the club for years, but then he's eventually hired. Uh, he replaces a man who was doing a fantastic job as a strength and conditioning coordinator named Jim Malone. Jim Malone in his two years with the club decreased the amount of man games lost due to injury significantly. Barwis's first year in, the number triples. Now, you do have some room for error there because you have some pitchers that blow out some ligaments. That happens. But, I mean, the number triples the first year Barwis is there, specifically among the, among the players that he's training on a one-to-one basis at his facility, which is on the Mets campus in Port St. Lucie. Um, This is another problem that exists here because now you have the Mets who have employed this man to oversee their strength conditioning uh, program for the entire organization, and he has a facility in their grounds, in their spring training grounds in Port St. Lucie. And if you remember, there was that controversial 
article, this is probably before they hired him. He was a consultant at the beginning where they were charging players to use his his methods. And and then the, you know, the article yep. came out with the, with the Mets are cheap. Well, no, the Mets are – he's a consultant. He doesn't work for the team, so if he's going to do extra work, uh, he's going to charge for it. I can't blame him for that. That's on the Mets and the optics of that. But his background, he was director of strength and, uh, and conditioning for the uh, University of West Virginia. Uh, then he went, like you said, to the University of Michigan. And then what's interesting following the head coach, following the head football coach Rich Rodriguez, who he's following. Rich Rodriguez brought him along. That's his guy. Right. So I mean, he has, in your opinion, as a former football player, the things that he's doing. Are you comfortable if the Mets were a professional football team? Is it is it that they're doing football training for baseball? Is that a way of looking at it? Um, like I said, there's programs for everybody and everything. His program is fine. But the problem is the way that it's not being counterbalanced with better stretching and better flexibility programs. Um, which, bringing it back to that article you talked about, is either the Journal or uh, the Times. Think about that as the incumbent strength and conditioning coach. You're being paid by the organization, like a guy that Jim Malone's being paid by the organization, and you have the organization sending its players to a different strength and conditioning coach instead of you who, and they're paying you. I mean, that's a, that's a classic Mets double take because it's they're, they're, they're sort of contradicting themselves. Uh, and eventually Malone's dismissed. Barwis is brought on. Now Barwis is not with the club on a day-to-day basis. Uh, they, they have Dustin Clark who is in charge of the Mets strength conditioning programs on a day-to-day basis. What Dustin Clark does, is he implements Boris's programs because he has no uh, ability to create his own programs because he has no experience above intern on any level on any organization. So this is an intern in charge of the strength conditioning program for the New York Mets organization, which is it's shocking. Yeah, no, it's it's especially with everything and and look, I, I you, to your point, this probably falls more into the. Uh, offensive players, the pitchers, it's a different thing. I mean, you saw some things about Jacob deGrom starting to work on mechanics in between starts and throwing, but, you know, Noah Syndergaard with the weightlifting, and although the Mets claim he didn't gain whatever it was, 17 pounds, I don't know who to believe. Why would somebody say that if they didn't do that? Do you think that that probably is starting to spill into the pitchers, uh, namely Syndergaard, who tears a lat, not the end of the world injury, not a shoulder but again, if you're doing heavy weightlifting, if I'm a pitcher, the last thing I want to do is uh, a tear a labrum. If, if you, I talked to Dylan G. He actually, in I think in college, tore a labrum, and that's why he's had arm trouble. He told me that when I spoke to him in college, weightlifting. So you can hurt yourself in the shoulder, and as you know, Chris, you know shoulder injury, um, and I don't know if that has something to do with Harvey's scapula, the strain. Uh, those are the harder ones to come back from. Elbows are bad, but they're doable. Shoulders, that changes everything. So this is starting to bleed into what the, the strength of the team is in the pitching. And, you know, what you really want to look out for, uh, specifically if you're talking about Barwis, is anything core-related. If it's a quad, if it's a hip, if it's a hamstring, if it's a glute, if it's a, an oblique, even with Syndergaard's lat, uh, there's something to be said there about muscle imbalance that's being created. Because Elman blows out a hamstring last week. This is a guy who's trained with Barwis. Now, hamstrings happened before. And what I also thought was telling in his post-game comments is because Elman says that he's had hamstring injuries before. 
um, the best pr- uh, predictor of, pa- of future injury is past injury. So if I'm, if I'm Gazelman's strength coach and I know he has a hamstring issue and he's had them in the past and you get a full workup of a guy when he becomes your client, this is something that I would be working around and I'd be making sure flexibility is, uh, you know, one of the main things that we're trying to target, not bulk, not strength, not explosiveness, but flexibility to make sure these hamstrings, which now have scar tissue in them, if he's torn them or pulled them before have to be flexible. And I just don't think that he does that. I think he's, he's more concerned with putting up the video of the explosiveness, putting up the video with his guys wearing his name on the back of his t-shirt, selling his brand, selling his supplements. And that's the, you know, to, to wrap up here and get the final point, this is very much a sales organization, the Barwis method. Uh, you go on the website, I mean, there's the shopping and, and uh, videos, almost like a, uh, you know, like a, uh, a cultish type video, like, hey, look at what I've done. I know he's helped some people who are, who are injured, uh, you know, and things like that. And like you said, not everything is bad, but um, it is odd that he worked for the Mets, then he took the job of the Mets, but while he's been working for the Mets back in 2014-2015, he was also consulting the Miami Dolphins. Uh, that's stretching somebody pretty thin. Now, what, what he's basically probably saying is, I have the program and I have the people to execute the program. Just execute the program. You, you never need to see him. Uh, to me, if I'm Sandy Alderson, uh, I'd rather work with somebody who have somebody that's dedicated to my organization. It's, like, it's essentially like moonlighting. I mean, at some point... You're you're distracted, and 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 you look at this timeline here. Now it seems like he's with the Mets now, totally, you know, totally and solely. But um, you know, he's still working this sales organization. You go to the barwismethod.com, and you know, you can get pretty much anything you want. It's like almost like a uh, uh, you know, uh, you know kind of like a group type of thing. Like get involved in this 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 group type of thing. Well, you know, the one thing I think that is the big red flag is that you have a guy, like I said, that's in charge of the day-to-day operations, his intern, Dustin Clark, who has no uh, experience as a leader of men, who has no experience of how are you feeling today, what are you feeling, can we talk about this, let's look at your program, let's modify the program. All he does is he takes what is given to him by the boss and implements it. Um, It's very rare that you have somebody working in a Major League Baseball organization as the head of something with no experience doing it. And, look, a lot of guys want to point to Ray Ramirez. I'll be the first to tell you I've had people that have dealt with Ray specifically. He is one of the best in the business. When people run out, people start booing him when he runs out to the field, he is not the problem. The Mets deal with the hospital for special surgery. These are the best doctors on the planet Earth. And so unless there's anywhere else that they can go, um, they're not going to get any better treatment. There is a disconnect right now between the way Will Pons and the way Sandy Alderson takes advice from doctors and implements uh, their own course of action. There is a disconnect there right now. And to be honest with you, it's probably giving the hospitals with special surgery a headache because um, it's not making them look the best. And it's making Ray Ramirez look terrible. This poor guy who's been on the forefront of this, and he's been through, if a guy has been through as many regime changes as Ray Ramirez has, that should tell you that he's probably pretty good at what he does because he's been here for about 12 to 15 years. So he obviously is not part of the problem. Um, I think that the, the problem rests in the, the program that's being created by a guy who is more interested in selling T-shirts, uh, a guy who sees the Mets on a day-to-day basis, who has no experience being a leader of men or creator of a strength program, 
and a disconnect between the doctors, the ownership, and the player. Um, and it's rampant, uh, and it's getting worse and worse, and I don't see it changing until major changes happen at the top. And it even goes back to the whole DL thing. They did it with Conforto. They just don't like the DL players. I don't know if they just want them to push it through. Uh, you know, again, if Conforto's bone wasn't broke and there's a deep bone bruise with a 10-day DL, to me it's almost like, what are you doing here? I mean, that's the point of the 10-day DL. And everyone's going to say Ray Ramirez. He doesn't diagnose this stuff. Uh, they'll exactly. say the doctors. I find it hard to believe that the hospital special surgery and the doctors that the Mets employ are, are, are going to be, you know, these dopey narratives that the media put out there are going to be this cast of clowns that are just going to say, ah, you know, they're not using, like, you know, 1942 x-ray machines here. I mean, that's the thing. So you're right. You know, I could give you medical advice, Chris, and you could say, yes, doc, and then you go out and do what you want, and then what are you going to do? You're going to blame the doctor. Or the organization is going to tell the player, well, yeah, that's what the doctor said, but. The player at the end of the day has a right to a second opinion. But, you know, especially if you're a young player, they're very concerned. And I know this because I've spoken to players. They're very concerned about getting cut, sent down, or released when they don't have any leverage if they don't follow the team's direction. That's very prevalent, and I don't think fans realize that. Exactly, and, and how many times have we seen it in the sense that, okay, we're going we're gonna to wait a day and reevaluate, we're going to wait a day and reevaluate. Now you have a situation of Michael Conforto where he is going to spend as much time on the DL five days as he did inactive with the club five days. And, and you, your club played with 24 guys. I mean, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I was, in and out of, I was at the game yesterday and I was in and out, but Jacob DeGrom had the pinch run yesterday. After, yes, he did. Um, after throwing that gem on Friday night. And that's what happens when you're right. carrying 24. Um, and that's what happens right. when you're short a bench player. And it's, it's just, it's very, what if he comes up on, he could hit a base. He, he doesn't expect to play that day. He could hit a base if he's forced to open it up and hit a base the wrong way and blow a hamstring. And especially with the history that we've seen. Yeah, you're carrying a lot of relievers. I mean, that's becoming a bigger problem with the amount of relievers that teams need to employ. And and part of it is, and this is a whole separate subject, we could go on for another 30 minutes, whatever. uh, You know, you got to push starters to go deeper. I mean, the fact that you got to run out there at 100 pitches like they get shot. Um, you know, if they don't get off the mound, is ridiculous. So, uh, you know, you, well, you you've been pretty you've been pretty accurate, man. You were accurate about David Wright. He has not seen the, the light of day since our podcast last year. Um, you've been on this Barwis thing. I know Barwis probably uh, follows you on Twitter, uh, and I know that the you know, I think that they're starting to get some rabbit ears on this. Uh, I have a feeling oh, that the more we've talked about. Uh, I don't know if Barros will make a statement. I know Sandy Alderson has been the one saying, hey, we still trust the – we almost trust the process. But don't be surprised that, uh, you know, Barros starts to fight back on this because you're not going to have a sales-centric organization like this that's intent on selling the dream. And, and your prized client, the New York Mets, uh, the fans of that team, and essentially the media at some point are starting to tarnish it. That, that's going to that's gonna have him fight back a little bit at some point. And, and look, God bless Ronnie for his comments. They were true and they were honest. Um, it, you know, a lot of, uh, there are so many folks out there that confuse the strength and conditioning coach with the tr- athletic trainer. Um, if an athletic trainer, like you said, is not his job to diagnose injuries or to be in the weight room with these guys on a day-to-day basis, his job is just to prep the room. His job is to prep the training room for guys to get treatment on nagging injuries, guys to get stretched out. Um, and Ronnie is a guy who – 
Yeah, he's an award-winning uh, broadcaster, but he's a guy that once you turn the mics off, and I know you've spoken to him too, he's a guy who's going to tell you what he thinks about the club. And it's not always going to be glowing. Uh, and I think he did that publicly, and I was very happy for it because it had to be said. Uh, somebody had to say it. Um, and, you know, some people are saying that he's being too critical of the club. I think it's great. I think because he has the athlete's take, and he knows that a guy's playing days are finite. And if the guy's best interests in the weight room are not being put to the, put into forefront, guys are losing valuable days of their career. They're losing valuable starts and valuable games. And he doesn't want to see that happen in these young kids. And I think that's what irked him the most. And that's why I loved his honesty on it. No, you're right. I wish I wish the beat would do the same thing. I wish the media would pick up on this bar with stuff. I have a feeling they may start to at some point. Hey, I, before I let you go, I you know. got anything going on? I know you, you sell tickets and you got a bunch of stuff going on. I don't know if you have anything going on at MetsmerizedOnline.com, but uh, uh, let, let the listeners know what's uh, the latest and the greatest. If anybody ever needs tickets to see a game, we beat every price, fee-free NYC. You could find a, a link to the site on my Twitter handle. Uh, we're getting about two to three clients a day and most of them are coming back for more you don't pay any fees the price you see is the price you pay and they're season ticket holder seats so they're always going to be in the best rows and the best locations come and try us all right man have a good fourth of july i appreciate you being generous with your time i'm sure you want to get back out to fun in the sun and uh, watch some baseball so let's uh, let's catch up again already yes i will be out in seattle in a few weeks and hope to reconnect with you uh after that it'll be right at the trading deadline so i think it'll be an interesting time That'll be fun. Enjoy that. Uh, what is that? A six-hour flight? That probably the worst flight in all of uh, the United States. Six hours. That's going to take to get from uh, New York. Six hours, but that's why you fly in the Delta Comfort. Free food and drinks. <laughs> right, Chris. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. Thanks a lot. Take care, man. Bye bye. All right. Take care. That's Chris from MetsmerizedOnline.com. Interesting stuff. Uh, look, I'm not an expert on this stuff. I like to bring people on who know what they're talking about. And uh, I think Chris does, and I know he's uh, tweeted about it. I know he's uh, written about it. Uh, not everybody likes what he has to say, but we like to talk about all this stuff, and uh, I thought Chris did a really nice job. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Hey, I'm out of time. I uh, hope everybody first has a great 4th of July. I, I don't know if you're taking off today or you know it's kind of an odd weekend where you have 4th of July on a Tuesday. But uh, maybe you're taking off today. I don't know when you're listening to this. The Mets are obviously have some interesting games. They're going to be playing the Nationals at an 11 a.m. game tomorrow on 4th of July. So you basically by 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, uh, could watch some baseball in the morning with your breakfast, get the barbecue fired up, and enjoy the rest of your day, which is always a cool thing. Sometimes sports kind of gets in the way of socializing and, and, and enjoying your day, especially if you're into a game and it's not going well. It kind of ruins some of those uh, holidays. So. Uh, enjoy that, and I will be back on Sunday, and we'll have the All-Star break, so we'll kind of assess this team. I'll try to figure out something that we can do to assess this team. Uh, on the not official, the official halfway point is already hit, but the unofficial halfway point of the baseball season. we got 50% of the season left here to go, so we'll do that on Sunday, and we'll have some fun. Maybe we'll do something with the All-Star game. I'll have to think about it. I'll have to think about what makes sense and uh, who's available and uh, what we could get done. And we'll see. You know, this, this is a critical week. No nonsense. I don't want to hear any rationalizations if they go out there and lose. They have to win these two series. Uh, I don't even know if playing 500 is acceptable. I really don't. I think they have to make some ground getting into the All-Star break if you want to take any of this quote-unquote new hope, false hope, whatever you want to talk about it, and, and make it stick and, and make it real. 
I want to thank Zach Brazilla of the New York Post, of course, for joining us earlier. I also want to thank Chris, our buddy, uh, Chris the Teacher, who also has uh, appeared over at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out the show at MetsamorizedOnline.com. All the time. Enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. I'll be back on Sunday. Take care, everybody.